and welcome to I Assure You We're Podcasting, the show on Talk Film Society, where we take a look at the work of Kevin Smith. I'm Mike, and I'm joined today by Ale from Sequels, a podcast which is much more popular than this one. Uh, thanks for joining us, Ale. I am so excited that I was even considered for this. So thank you for having me. No, no, thank you. Yeah, I was just listening to um, the episode you guys did. I think it was your last episode with the, the sequel to Bring It On. Oh, my goodness. Yes. It's yeah. been a while. We have something called the sequels curse, which prevents <laughs> us from <laughs> recording very often. But it's always great recording with those guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I'm like, I love the original Bring It On. I think it's a masterpiece. I've seen it like 75,000 times. <laughs> and yet I've never seen any of the the sequels, but now I feel like I need to watch them all because they've got the Halloween one coming out like in a few months. And so <laughs> I honestly think that they're pretty entertaining. So I think you should definitely go for it. Okay. All right. I'll do it. That'll be <laughs> that'll be the next series. But if you hate after. them, if you hate them, I did not just recommend them to you. <laughs> all right. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> But we're not talking about Bring It On today. We're talking about Kevin Smith, in particular, Chasing Amy. So I know that you're a huge fan of Chasing Amy, but uh, what do you think about Kevin Smith on the whole? I love Kevin Smith. I think he actually was way ahead of his time. I'll be honest, when I was younger and I had my first encounters with him, I didn't really understand him very well. And I feel like a lot of the people that have problems with his movies and just his work in general might not understand where he's coming from either. So I think I like podcasts like this because it offers some perspective. And similar to like the movie that we're discussing today, I think that people might consider them problematic or a lot of his work problematic, but I think it just you know, requires some perspective, but I do really love him. I think he was ahead of his time. I think a lot of his commentary and a lot of the things he has to say are really valuable. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think it's like one of those things, I mean, we'll get into it later on, but like as someone who like basically has followed his career from the beginning, like you look back at some of the stuff and you're like, uh, okay, it does. it's not all perfect, right? But you can see him grow as a person too over time which mm -hmm. is interesting so yeah which is interesting because i find that a lot of his like earlier stuff is really progressive mm -hmm. <laughs> i feel like it does not necessarily grow more progressive i feel like there's just more insights and more kind of perspectives in his work so i guess it does kind of you know relate to a broader audience yeah. as time goes on yeah, no, that's true. That's true. So, I mean, when did you discover this movie? Was it was this like your first exposure to Kevin Smith, or did you had you seen other movies of his before, or how did that? So, all... Clerks was my very first one. I think that's pretty common. Um, which I'm glad because there was like a little joke in this one that refers to Clerks, and mm -hmm. it kind of just made me realize how. Uh, it's a universe really that he's working with here. So um, Clerks is my favorite or not my favorite, my first one. This is my favorite, but um, I actually didn't watch Chasing Amy until kind of like my late teens, early twenties. So it was not even one of the first ones that I saw. I even saw Dogma before this one. Okay. All right. So, so when you did finally see it, uh, what, what were your thoughts? So I, I mean, this is pretty, 
you know, open and out there. I even have a column on TSF or uh, Talk Film Society about being queer, being a queer woman. So obviously when I first saw this, I felt really, really seen because I think that this film, which again, so ahead of its time, because when I first saw this, I was like, well, this is a little problematic. But the more I saw it, the more I felt seen by Alyssa's character. And I think it really, really speaks to sexuality as a spectrum and kind of that like struggle that some, I mean, yes, knowing that you're gay or knowing that you're, you know, queer is a struggle in and of its own. But I think Alyssa's facing something here about, she doesn't really know who she is until she meets Holden. And I can really identify with that. It is a struggle to be on the spectrum and just kind of like in a nebulous space with your own sexuality. So I really, really identify with this movie. I love it. It is one of my comfort movies. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it it's interesting. Like, I remember... This I don't know why I remember. I guess it's just because it was it was really insightful. But um, at one point, you tweeted something like, "Kevin Smith knows nothing about lesbians, but he's like, it seems like he's teachable or something like that." I don't know. <laughs> you, you said something like that. I remember the exact tweet <laughs> that you are talking about, and that's crazy because my perspective has since changed. Okay. <laughs> because I don't think that the film is about lesbians i still think he doesn't know anything about lesbians but i do think that you know what the film means to me is a little bit different today than it was when i tweeted that which was not that long ago to be honest i say it was a few you know i don't remember what all i remember all i know is that every time i've watched the movie since then that's like the only thing which is running through my mind for whatever reason i don't know why but i guess that's just something that i never thought of as you know like a 17 year old kid when i first saw this movie i'm gonna go through and delete that tweet because i don't stand by it anymore i think that kevin smith kind of has a pretty good understanding of certain groups within the lgbtq community because the scene in the movie where she's with her lesbian friends and they kind of like outcast her when she says that she's dating a man um very common actually and there's a lot of kind of like outcasting within the community itself and marginalizing within the community itself so i thought that was incredibly insightful upon this rewatch so i take that back okay fair enough yeah i mean it's it's interesting because it's like one of those things that i never really thought about when i had first you know seen the movie or anything because i guess i was watching it much more from you know holden's perspective and all that stuff uh i mean i was you know 17 year old kid who didn't know anything about anything so (laughs) whatever you know but um you know, there have been a lot of uh, criticisms of the movie since then, you know, and, and people saying that, you know, Kevin Smith basically just does not know what he's talking about, which I do think is interesting because he he's kind of owned up to that. He's like, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, and I, I'm still learning, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm trying. And uh, but at the same time, that's kind of what the movie's about, too, right? It's about yes. like a guy who doesn't know what he's talking about. (laughs) And it's kind of like, I mean, what I love so much about this is that even in his efforts to become better and like fix the problem by having a threesome (laughs) with his best friend and the girl that he loves, he's still missing the mark. And so I think that's similar to Kevin Smith. Like, I think that his efforts are, you know, evident. They don't always hit. 
but I do see that there is some effort to understand there. And that means really quite a lot to me. Sure, sure. And I mean, just kind of getting into the origins of the movie uh, for a minute, you know, this is something that, I mean, I, it, it was definitely like in his mind when he was making Mallrats, uh, because even at the end of Mallrats, it says Jay and Silent Bob will return and chasing Amy. But if I'm remembering correctly, it was originally going to be much more of sort of a, uh, I don't know, a, a raunchy comedy in, in the vein of like, well, mall rats, you know, or, okay. or, you know, something like that. And then due to life events or whatever, he pivoted and, and made it, you know, a more personal story on, on a much smaller scale. And uh, we touched on this a little bit in the last episode, but, uh, you know, after Mallrats bombed, you know, all of these these offers from Hollywood and everything just suddenly disappeared. And he wrote this script and he went back to, you know, Miramax and said, hey, I want to make this movie. Uh, You know, I want to, you know, make it with my friends, you know, basically the entire cast of Mallrats. And, you know, the studio was like, well, we want to do it with... uh, David Schwimmer, uh, John John Stewart, and Drew Barrymore. Which I don't think I would have liked it then, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, like I can see Drew Barrymore. You know, I don't know about David Schwimmer and John Stewart. That seems like a bit of a a miss. But but then he he said, well, how about we make it for two hundred thousand dollars with my friends? And the studio was like, yeah, okay, fine, two hundred thousand dollars. That means nothing to us. Go for it. And the rest is history. But, I mean, it is really interesting because you look at it now and you're like, Ben Affleck, Jason Lee, you know? But, no, I mean, at the time, nobody knew who Ben Affleck was. I, I mean, I, like, I remember seeing that he was going to be the lead in this movie, and I'm like, the guy from Mallrats? Like, the, the antagonist <laughs> in Mallrats? Like, why? Why would you put him in anything? And... It's so bizarre because, like, uh, you know, back then there weren't, you couldn't just go online and watch a trailer or anything. And I remember, like, the only thing that I had seen from it was, like, one clip that they played on MTV, which was, like, the scene in the in the rain, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember seeing that and thinking, like, oh, man, this is not good. This looks like some 90210 stuff. You know, this is, like, high <laughs> melodrama. This is going to be bad. But, of course, I went to see it on opening day because I was obsessed with Kevin Smith, and it blew me away. And, you know, these performances blew me away, too. And and sure enough, I mean, I think it kind of made their careers. I don't understand why Joey Lauren Adams is not still in everything today. I totally agree. Um, and didn't Ben Affleck, did he get Armageddon because of this movie? Do you think? It, it wouldn't surprise me because the timing would have been right around that, that time, yeah. I mean, yeah. totally, totally warranted because he, I think, he performed excellently in this movie. Like, he is a Holden. He is a Holden. Do you know what I mean? He, yeah. Yeah, no, he's great in this. I mean, and I agree. I don't know why Joey Lauren Adams did not blow up after this because I honestly don't know that anyone else could have played this role. I mean, you mentioned Drew Barrymore and I really tried to imagine it very hard when mm-hmm. you mentioned it, but I just can't even imagine it. I feel like she she is Alyssa. Yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I guess, you know, she is in terms of like the relationship stuff. I mean, Smith has been pretty open that this is sort of like from 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 the relationship side of things. It's basically his relationship with Joey Lauren Adams, you know, at the time. And 
and then he just kind of like grafted this this other element onto it, which was, you know, Guinevere Turner, you know, the director of Go Fish, who, who's in the movie. Um, she she was kind of like hanging out with with the clerks people on the festival circuit, and Scott Mosier, Smith's producer, basically had a huge crush on her, and he's like, oh, that's that's we need to put that in the movie you know <laughs> so it was like those two ideas kind of like fused together um so i guess it makes sense but yeah i mean she got nominated for a golden globe for this and everything whoa and i mean that's pretty that's pretty big for a movie like this you know it's such a special movie for so many reasons i mean it's it just touches every single note for me i think it's perfectly funny i do think that a lot of my, you know, in my youth also, I really thought like, I didn't understand that Kevin Smith was making these guys assholes on purpose. <laughs> and yeah. he just, I mean, it's unlike anything I've really ever seen. I mean, obviously I've seen other films where like, it's an unreliable narrator or the protagonist is supposed to be a dick and he's supposed to be going on like a a journey, but not like this, not like this at all, because I think that his films have kind of a more masculine energy to them. So you would expect that the message is in favor of the protagonist, but it very rarely ever is. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's true. That's true. Um, the, the other weird thing about this, just, you know, kind of like getting into the history and I don't know, Joey Lauren Adams not getting her due or whatever, but after the thing premiered at, at Sundance and everybody loved it, that's when they got the green light to do dogma. And the whole time the plan was for, Joey Lauren Adams to to be the lead in Dogma and the studio said like yes you'll get the money you can make the movie but you can't use Joey Lauren Adams and you need to get a real cinematographer and <laughs> when you look at Dogma it's like both of those things seem like they were bad choices I don't know yeah you know? do you know why or what the reasoning was from the studio I think I can't I I cannot figure it out with with Adams. It doesn't make any sense because I mean she was an established actor already, and obviously she knocks it out of the park, right? It just it doesn't make any sense. I can understand how they're like, okay, this guy has shot three movies, you know, two of which were made for you know like less than you know two hundred thousand dollars, and he's not ready, but. Still, I mean, they gave him Wes Anderson cinematographer, and I just I don't, that that movie just doesn't look good. I don't know. It looks fake, almost. Yeah, it looks. Very it looks fake. like a spoof. I mean, it is definitely spoofy, but it does not look very good at all. Yeah, yeah. But this movie, on the other hand, I think does look good. I mean, what do you think about um, Smith's direction? You know, compared to well clerks but also mall rats i feel like this feels more real at least visually to me than those do i think those are meant to obviously kind of be a little bit like comic booky and more colorful and more animated i feel like what you mentioned about him wanting to make something more from the heart is so clear in this even in just the way that it looks, it feels more grounded. It feels more, I mean, I don't want to say serious because there's a lot of humor in this, but it does feel like a more kind of active effort to produce something real and that many people can relate to instead of something that might feel a little bit like I said, comic booky, 
that creates that kind of divide and makes it a little bit harder for me anyway to identify with. Yeah, I mean, it is. I, I, th- I would say it definitely is his most serious movie to, at, at least to this point, you know. And and I mean, I I think having the lower budget really did help to ground it. You know, that was it was probably uh, the the right call to make. Even like, you know, they they were forced to shoot it in like super sixteen, you know, film stock and everything, which gave it that sort of grainy look and stuff like that. But. Um, but it also like it seems to have like the most scope out of the three. You know, it takes place over like an extended period of time, and yep. it actually has like a real setting. And yeah, yeah, and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty cool how much they were able to stretch that that budget and everything. I totally agree. I think this is like such an achievement on so many levels because of that as well. I didn't even consider that this is besides obviously dogma, but anything before chasing Amy, this is literally the film that has the most settings, the most kind of like bearing aesthetics and things. So that's very interesting, especially considering the budget. Yeah. Yeah. I know he's talked a little bit about like, um, you know, I mean, obviously like Spike Lee has been a huge influence on him and especially his early stuff and, you know, clerks being sort of like, analogous to you know do the right thing in terms of structure and everything and there was some some point he was talking about like how you know um the first spike lee's first movie god why why am i blanking on the name was it um no uh she's gotta have it right that, yeah. Okay. All right. I'm looking that up for right now, just for you. <laughs> yeah. And that thing like takes place over the span of a year, you know, and, and Smith was like, I would have never been able to do that. Like first thing out of the gate, like I just do not have that, that skill set to, to do something of that scope. But I mean, here he found it, you know, which is, which is cool. And, and I mean, it does really work. I, I, I go back and forth. You said this one's your favorite out of all of his movies. Yeah, it is very much my favorite. But I don't know how much of that has to do with, like, my own personal view of the world and how it relates to the movie versus how sound the movie actually is. But I do think that it is one of his better films, just, you know, objectively. Yeah, yeah. I I, I always go back and forth between this and Clerks. And I think part of Clerks is just the personal connection for me, you know, to that movie. But this one seems to have more, more skill behind it for sure. For sure. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I will say clerks is also an achievement because I mean, (laughs) the choices that were made in that film did not seem like it was set up for success. Like, you know, just even being in black and white, but I mean, come on, it's one of the most successful movies of the time. Yeah, I mean, dollar for dollar, you know, they one one of the original posters for that movie was like showing how it compared to like Forrest Gump and Speed and Pulp Fiction, like all the other big movies of the year and it was like, yeah, dollar for dollar this thing made like, you know, five times as much as, you know, Forrest Gump or whatever. As it should. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's way better than Forrest Gump, but uh <laughs> But yeah, so um, look, looking at it now, I mean, you said that your perspective on the movie has has changed over the years. I mean, do you do you like it more now or less now or just different now? I've always liked it quite a bit. I think I just like it for different reasons at different phases. Um, I would say I like it more now 
just because again, like a lot of my experiences have just been so well represented (laughs) by Alyssa. So, um, and now that I'm better understanding the film and kind of like viewing it differently, it just aligns more with me. So I think I would say more now, but I have never not liked this film, even upon my first watch. I did think I was like, well, this is problematic. Like, why are they using the F word? But um, I understand it now. And I know that obviously it's just a product of the time. So, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, and I mean, yeah, we can get into that in, in a little bit too. But yeah, it is interesting how, like, on this rewatch of all of his stuff, like, there's a lot of stuff in it which is very dated in in a lot of ways. And you know, I don't know. We we, we can get into that in that. In, <laughs> in two, there's never been a sequel to this movie, but there have been like two instances in his later movies which have kind of um, been like postscripts to chasing amy uh one in in jay and silent bob strike back and then one in in the most recent one reboot i mean have have you seen those movies i have not seen reboot okay but i've seen jay and silent bob back when they used to play it on mtv which i'm excited to talk about because i know we're going to talk about this later but i i did not know that there was like i don't even remember it being related to chasing amy at all it's it's more i mean it was weird because he like he would say like well it's more of a sequel to chasing amy than anything else and in in a lot of ways i guess it is because it, but it's it's not a sequel to like what the movie's actually about it's kind of like an offshoot sequel to like the the secondary thing which is them being comic book creators like the whole yes premise of of Jay and Silent Bob is basically like that comic book that they were making in Chasing Amy now has been sold to Hollywood and now they're going to go back and, you know, whatever. So it's like you can't really do Jay and Silent Bob without Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy, right. But there's nothing like significant about it, which, I mean, you you see, you see where, you know, Holden and, and Banky are briefly, but it's not like it's 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 any meaningful thing well i think that speaks to what i mentioned earlier about like i think all of these well at least most of these movies are sequels of each other because mm-hmm. you could say the same about chasing amy with clerks because obviously jane silent bob are in both and also i think Alyssa makes a joke about how her best friend was <laughs> was the one who fucked the dead guy yeah so i i mean that's another element i really love about kevin smith it does kind of feel like you, you cannot help but create an emotional connection with some of these, whether you hate them or you love these people. I'll, I'll be, I'll take that a step further actually. And I'll say that I love all these characters, even to the ones I can't stand. Like I like Banky. <laughs> yeah. You know, I care about Banky weirdly enough, mm-hmm. but um, so that's why I really, really also enjoy his work. Cause it does feel familiar to each other. Yeah, and that I think he gets from from all the the comic book stuff, and and it does work really well. And that was certainly like a really big hook for me back in the day. I mean, you know, obviously like Jay and Silent Bob are running through all of them, and you know, Clerks and Mallrats have have a lot of the same stuff in them. You know, like the whole thing with uh, the girl dying in the pool. You know, that ties into both. You know, Clerks and Mallrats, and and because of that, because of the timing, which doesn't really work, but Mallrats. I guess would take place the day before clerks, which is kind of interesting. Um, But then like there are like so many connections, which you wouldn't even like 
think of like Alyssa's sister is in Clerks. There, there's the scene where like uh, the 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 guy comes up with the milk and he's like, "Oh, it sounds to me like you need to hit the gym." And then <laughs> and then like the the woman comes in and was like, "Oh yeah, you're Rick Darris. That's that's Alyssa's sister, and they even say like, "Oh, you're Alyssa's sister, Alyssa's sister Heather, or whatever." I mean, there's like no reference to it aside from that anywhere. I think she she mentions like seeing her sister or something, but yeah, that's, that's crazy. It, it is crazy. There's stuff like that everywhere in these movies, you know. And I that's wow. one of the things that I love about him. I mean, like. Okay, so the first time that I saw this movie was opening day. Like, I, I could not wait. You know, right after you know class got out, I walked down to the local theater and went to see it. And it was so weird because, like, I, it was really kind of billed as just like this art house film, and not like a sequel to Mallrats or anything like that. And I was kind of hoping that he would continue that but at the same time i was thinking like nah he's not going to because he's going to try to distance himself from that stuff in the past but he doesn't and i remember sitting there and when they start talking about you know the ymca pool or whatever it was that that whole scene there was like me and one other guy in the theater (laughs) who were just like cracking up and everybody else was just like what's wrong with these guys you know i I think it's interesting that you said that um he doesn't try to distance himself from his past work because that's a hundred percent true. But at the same time, I feel like there is an evolution with his work. So it's still forward moving without being repetitive or without being like stuck or like one trick pony. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably a lot of people who think that he should be <laughs> distancing himself, but when, <laughs> like whenever he tries that, it, it kind of fails and then he goes back to to what he loves and 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 i i love also that even though he he's going to do that he's not going to limit the types of stories that he tells exactly exactly like, he can follow mall rats up with this and they take place in the same continuity and then in the next one he's going to introduce god and it's like okay fine now that works too i mean you look <laughs> at the the cartoon or whatever and you think about that being in the same continuity and it's like yeah why not like bend genres and everything i mean that's what comic books do that's what you know any of these like sort of like dense mythologies that you see marvel movies or whatever i mean they all do that i don't know what happened along the way where people like kind of turned on him yeah just in, <laughs> in general they just turned on him like there are people who still really really love him and i know a few of them on especially like on my twitter timeline and stuff but like the general <laughs> consensus is not good on him anymore i don't know if there's like something real world that he did that made people shift opinions but i love him i think he's so so great yeah i, I do sad. I, yeah, no i i do too obviously hence the the podcast but um but yeah no i i definitely know what you mean i mean and, and but it feels like it's something which has happened from the beginning i mean you know mall rats like all the people who you know loved Mallrats or loved Clerks just refused to see Mallrats because he was selling out and there's just sort of been that like evolution ever since and I don't understand it you know there was a dramatic shift somewhere along the way I can't exactly figure out when it was and and I get that like his personality can be grating I get that you know 
you know, some of the stuff is self-serving or whatever. And, you know, he's kind of, you know, full of himself at times and everything. But I mean, yeah, exactly. And and we talked about this a lot on, on the last episode, but like, he seems like a genuinely good guy, like Agreed. more than, you know, any other filmmaker that I can really think of who has like any sort of like public persona, you know, I, I don't know. Right, which is why I was like, did he do something problematic, like actually problematic that people are not a fan of? I think think the really, really big turning point was probably Red State when he did his like publicity stunt at Sundance where he got up on stage and auctioned the movie off to himself for a dollar and basically told the entire industry to, you know, fuck off or whatever. I mean, I get why industry people might, you know, be turned off by that. But at the same time, it's like... Maybe it was Tusk. <laughs> Maybe it was Tusk. I don't know. <laughs> I thought Tusk was pretty great, but <laughs> I don't know. That's just me. I, I don't. I don't get it. But it feels like, yeah, he's he's always had his his very very big detractors, and I can't really figure out why. But me neither, because he does seem like a swell guy, and I do think a lot of his. I mean, you just know that he loves what he does based on what he produces, you know, and what he like actually comes out with. So I really kind of like cannot name another filmmaker with, I mean, you know, if I really thought about it, I probably could, but he does have a lot of heart. He does yeah. have a lot of heart. I agree. I agree. So, okay. Well, should we uh, shift gears and take a look at this, uh, these, these MTV shorts that he did? Yes. So I have never seen these. Okay. There's one missing. I, I sent you a, a, the the playlist or whatever, but there's one actually missing from that, which is disappointing because it's, uh, it's, it's basically two like faceless guys in a coffee shop who are very, you know, sort of like scholarly or whatever. And they're like looking out the window at Jay and Silent Bob and basically talking about how, you know, pathetic they are. Oh, and, no. <laughs> but the two guys who are talking, of course, are Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes, just like dressed up in like suits and ties and stuff. Oh, you know? that's amazing. It's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. But but I, I think the other ones are, are interesting, too. Now, uh, just sort of like a backstory for this. These came out in, I think, 1998. They did them like right before they went off to shoot Dogma. And um, they basically did these little like bumpers, you know, like minute long, like I don't know, they put them in in between music videos or something on MTV Mm -hmm. with Jay and Silent Bob just doing random things. And then they actually put them together into like like an hour-long like Kevin Smith special thing, which was kind of cool, you know. Is it with the like, video sash thing? Yeah, yeah, that's it. it so that the the other one's probably in there, but yeah, it's it's got all the shorts and then just like basically them at his comic book store, just like talking about you know his career or whatever, you know, just whatever. It, it was cool because like for these, you know, it was three little movies that no one in the real world cared about. And then all of a sudden on MTV, they have like an hour long special. Like, that's so cool. That is the coolest thing. And I love that. Like, I feel like Jane Silent Bob were the most famous characters from his movies. And they didn't even have their own movie until like a little bit later. Yeah. So that's super awesome to see also. Yeah. Okay. So, so looking at these shorts, I mean, what, what did you, what did you think about them? 
I loved these so much. These <laughs> really made my day when I was watching them today before uh, recording. Um, I I was born in the 90s, but I also am very, very into 90s like pop culture and stuff like that. So to see like, and I, by the way, also big Alanis Morissette fan. So the the short where he says that like Jagged Little Pill was basically all about him iconic absolutely loved it brought yeah. such a smile to my face they're just great yeah i i, I like them a lot too you know I, I watched those things a billion times back in the day because it's like any little you know morsel of kevin smith you just there wasn't much out there unlike today when there's you know thousands and thousands of podcasts you know to, to listen to or whatever but watching them this time like i i enjoyed them a lot but <laughs> It is also kind of crazy just whether uh, from circumstances out of, you know, his control or not. But a lot of them don't really, they haven't really stood the test of time, you know? I no. mean, there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a Marilyn Manson one. There's, oh, yes. You know, I mean, it, it, it was kind of crazy. It's just like, wow, you know, pop culture, it's it's cutting edge, you know, but... Wow, you look back at it a few years later and it's like, yeah. I mean, it is like a capsule, especially also like the one where Jay is kind of like rapping about different women popular in the 90s. Uh-huh. Like, I'm sure if someone today saw that, they wouldn't know who have, half the people <laughs> mentioned in that were. In fact, I had to Google a few. <laughs> You're totally right on that. Yeah, yeah. But still, you know, I, I think pretty good and, and sort of like, you know, captures that sort of guerrilla filmmaking, you know, feel that, that you have, you know, in, in, uh, in some of some of his other earlier works, you know, also is that Matt Damon in the department store one? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Holy crap. And I guess this would have been like right after, like, so they shot it in early 98. So it would have been like right after Goodwill hunting came out, like, like while they were on the award circuit and all that stuff. I guess they got Matt Damon to do a little cameo. Well, I mean, it makes sense because he just did Dogma or he was just about to do Dogma with them. But Amazing. I was like, this cannot be him. Like, I feel like at this point he would have been too big to be doing these. But that's yeah. what, I mean, again, very close knit kind of group of, you know, people on these projects. So it's nice to see that that yeah. kind of loyalty is there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess that's the other thing that happened on Chasing Amy that, you know, is worth noting is, you know, that's where Affleck showed the script for, for Goodwill Hunting to, to Smith and Smith took it to the studio and got them to buy it. And the rest is history, you know, which is crazy. Incredible. Also one of my favorite movies. I just love that movie so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. All right. So, uh, any final thoughts on Chasing Amy? I just love this movie so much. Honestly, talking about it made me want to watch it again <laughs> as soon as we stop recording because it really is something new to me every single time. And I I love this movie as much as I love movies like Singles from Cameron Crowe. And that's really kind of a big thing for me to say because that's one of my favorite movies too. But they kind of feel the same in that like it is kind of like a time capsule, but the messages and the human feelings that both of those movies are about are like really timeless and can resonate with people today. I think. Yeah. I need to check that one out again. I haven't seen that movie in probably like 
20 years or something like that. But, well, it's so good. Yeah. So I, good. I, I need to check that out again for sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that this movie is is great. I mean, it, it blew me away when I first saw it. Uh, you know, I, I had never... I mean, this was not the type of movie that I watched. You know, I watched like Star Wars movies or whatever, you know, and the only reason why I watched this is because I loved, you know, Clerks and Mallrats so much, but I don't know. It really just kind of like stuck with me, you know, and, and really gave me a lot to think about, you know, back then. I, I don't know if it if it would have had the same impact on me today. I'm, I'm sure it probably wouldn't have, but regardless, I mean, I, I absolutely love it. I mean, this is like at least top 20 of all time for me, if not Whoa, top 10. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's pretty, pretty high I hope up we there. did it justice today. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did. I think we did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's, it's great. So, all right. So, Ali, where can people find you on the internet? So, um, you guys can find me on Twitter at sick underscore underscore six six and you can also find some of my older columns on talk film society i also have a podcast sequels so check that out it covers direct-to-video sequels uh we're kind of bending the rules a little bit because there's only so much we can take (laughs) of that but yeah you can all find that everywhere on talk film society all right, and you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me uh, here on the network doing stuff like uh, Soderbergh, 28, 20, however many movies he's made now, I don't even remember, <laughs> um, and things like that. And you can find me on my website, filmdamagepod.com, doing a show called Film Damage, where we talk about film projection, time travel, and Star Trek. Oh. Yeah, exciting stuff. Sometimes. Um <laughs> Well, thank you again very much for for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, More than welcome back to talk about any other uh, Kevin Smith movie you want. If you want to, well, we didn't talk about reboot. Uh, That that's the one where there really is like a legit like follow up to the core story of Chasing Amy. I wonder if it would be interesting for me to be back on for that one as a first time viewer. I I think that would be good. Um, I'm I'm very curious to. To, to see what you think about it, to see where the story, quote unquote, ends, you know, 25 years later or whatever it is. So, yeah, let's 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 uh, pencil that in. That, that, that yes, would be good. absolutely. Be good. I'd be so happy to. All right. Well, in the meantime, uh, thanks for for listening. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll be back next time to talk about dogma. I'm going to have uh, my dad on, which should be interesting because he used to be a Catholic priest. Uh, but until then. Ooh. If you plan to podcast, let us know. <laughs>